I think the hardest thing as a leader and a healthcare worker was to actually be the person to tell somebody you're sick because I've been taking care of people who are at the end of their life, but I didn't want anybody worrying about me. And the reality is people want to care for you. You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 5, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by sponsors AccuShield, Connected Living, Hamilton Captel, Inquire, One Day, LTC REIT, It's Never Too Late, Meridian Capital Group, Salinity, The Bridge Group Construction, and produced by Salinity Marketing. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas. A very good topic on today and very good timing. We want to welcome our special guest, Natalie Zelesnikar. She is a breast cancer advocate, amongst other things, and she has an amazing story she's going to share on our network today. Good morning and welcome to the show, Natalie. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, you know that this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month or Cancer Awareness Month uh, in, in, you know, at a higher level. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you have an amazing story and you've connected with the Bridge the Gap Network here. Would you let our listeners know a little bit about your story and then also the things that you're most passionate in this category? You know, I've been a nursing home administrator for 30 years. I've been in the senior living space, building assisted living um, and serving seniors. And so as a caregiver, we always say we care for others and not ourselves. And I thought I, that's just words, but I was six months late for my mammogram running the race as a CEO and uh, went in and uh, they said, you know, we need you to come back. And I said, okay, no big deal. My mom had fibroid cysts. It's common in women. I'm not going to worry about it. Didn't even tell my husband I was going in for a second one. Went back in and ended up on a biopsy table immediately. And um, they said, you know, don't be surprised if they call you and tell you you have cancer. So, you know, I thought that that wouldn't be a big deal. And then you realize you're just at work like any other day and you get a call and all of a sudden time stops and you just sit there and I just remember where I was in a minute and and remembered there were so many other moments in life where there are certain times time does feel like it stops. Everything's going on around you, but you don't even know what to do next. So, you know, that my experience was just, um, I was a stage one breast cancer and, you know, in the breast, in the cancer lane, they score everything. So, you know, it's scored zero to four. So when you're scored a zero, a one, I thought, I should feel lucky. I should feel blessed. You know, I have it easy. There's a lot of people that have it far worse than me. And so I wasn't really mentally prepared that I'd be at any risk for a negative outcome because I was just a stage one, you know? So when everything went bad for me, I was caught on my heels and uh, wondered what happened, you know? And so I had, um, elected to have a double mastectomy. I had a fellow colleague that was a nursing home administrator that had the same cancer I had, inductal uh, invasive carcinoma, you know, breast cancer. And she had a um, lumpectomy and radiation. And then three months later, it went to the other breast and ended up having the full double mastectomy. So I'm like, you know, I just want to erase this risk. I'm trying to run 24 hour facilities. I'm on call 24 hours a day. I need to be available. I don't want to have this drawn out. So I elected a double mastectomy, ended up having um, a severe infection happen in the first 30 days following my surgery that I learned was sepsis. And um, 
I nearly lost my life at 48. Um, I just remember being in the emergency room. That was the same room my father-in-law was in one year earlier, and he died from sepsis, but he was in his 80s, you know, and I'm sitting there praying to God going, you don't take me now. I got a few things I want to do, you know, and hearing the doctors say, if you went to brought her in, she would have been dead by the morning. So that's how it all started for me. That is a very compelling story um, and one that I know so many people are going to be touched touched by because um, they've experienced that in their own families or in even in their own lives. As a leader in healthcare, we we talk about trust in communities all the time, you know, in nursing homes and assisted living. So what I've learned from my experience is how trusting I was. I grew up on a farm. I grew up working in healthcare serving seniors. I've done it since I was 16. I'm now clearly not. I've done it for decades. And so when I ended up being facing uh, a lot of surgeries and, you know, I was very trusting to, you know, we need to get you into surgery in this month. Okay. I have a provider. I had my children here. Everything went well. Let's just go with that. You know, I'll stay locally and do that. I didn't research the doctors. I researched, you know, because I, I operate under a principle of trust. Just I'm, I'm a professional. Everybody's in their lane. They'll do what they can do. They know the knowledge and, you know, what I spent time looking at is the plastic surgery side, because I didn't know as much about that, because I've never accessed that in my life. So I, I thought, well, that makes sense. I'll look at that. So what I didn't realize is there are there are ways for us to get information. What I didn't do is, you know, reach out to my my family and friends on Facebook and say, hey, who's had this, who's been through this situation? There's Reddit groups, there's a million platforms through podcasts and things. None of that crossed my mind to ask, what have you experienced? What would you do differently? Never did. I just went into a lane of, okay, schedule surgery in 30 days. I didn't research the doctor, look at, you know, how many mastectomies have they done? What is, you know, what, what are the outcomes? What are other women's outcomes? What, what has happened? I just looked at, okay, well, this seems to make sense. I'm a low risk. I'm a stage one. Why wouldn't I want to stay in my hometown so my family can it'll make it easier for me to run the business, take care of the seniors, be back home. Um, so that's what I did. And what I learned is that, you know, it's like anything else, like leadership in any other capacity, you need to be looking at, you know, when somebody does something, a lot of procedures, they're probably going to be better at it. And none of that entered my mind because I'm just was 100% trusting in that. And now I learned that we really have to be an advocate for ourselves and take that, you know, understanding that, you know, physicians are great and have a skill, but they're not God. And so, you know, bad things can happen with good people, just like it can in leadership. And so you need to to be comfortable because you can put 10 doctors in a room and they can have 10 10 different uh, platforms of a pathway. And you have to be comfortable with what what seems to line up most with what you're going to be able to live with the rest of your life. And so that element, I didn't really um, grasp in the early phases as much as I do now. There's so much I want to talk about, Natalie. Um, but one of the things while we're on this specific topic of, uh, I couldn't help but think, uh, you know, you were a very healthy individual as far as you knew, mm-hmm. very fast pace of life, running a business, a family, um, I'm sure like many of us uh, in a similar situation, probably many of our listeners right now, 
the last thing they're thinking of is what if I got a similar diagnosis today? Um, mm-hmm. I feel fine. There's nothing going on. I don't have any underlying symptoms. Um, but outside of that, what can you tell uh, someone that's in your situation, that's in the hustle and bustle of life, that while we don't want to live in fear of all the what ifs, there's some things that we can do maybe in our homes and in our businesses to be prepared when the curveballs of life come your way. Um, was there any takeaways that you could give to our listeners that, that might unfortunately find themselves in a, in a situation like that? I, I think as a leader, what I always believed in is creating teams and collaborative teams where you don't have silo thinking and you're, you're having cross training it away. When you have a labor shortage across the country, like you have, and we all have so many hats we're wearing, we have to ask ourselves, where's the best use of my time as a CEO, as the RN, as the LPN, as the aide, how do we cross train in an effective way? So if I need to go out for two months for a, a hip replacement, a stroke, anything that happens in our life. For me, it was cancer. Um, It could be, you know, somebody loses a child. It could be a million traumas that happen in life. How do we keep running 24 hour operations successfully? And how, what lanes do we need to be in? And what lanes can we either delegate it to other people or outsource and and collaborate with other people in in a non-competitive way, but just saying, this is the best way that protects the business so we can care for seniors. And this is the best way that protects us as humans to care for each other because we're in a caregiving role every day of our life. And, you know, the stress, I think all of us as leaders, healthcare workers, we know that we're on call 24 hours a day. I've been on call 24 hours a day for 30 years. So, you know, I'm ready for the missing resident in the middle of the night or uh, somebody didn't show up for a shift or whatever it is. And so that's in the back of your head. And so understanding how to even though I don't, I never felt stress, there's no way my body didn't absorb some stress over the last 30 years. And so I'm now more aware of, I have to unplug at some moments because we're, uh, we're available 24 hours a day to our campuses, to each other. We want to be, and yet we also need to understand how to take care of our space, uh, our mental space. You know, I need to get in the kayak and just be where there's nothing except a loon or listening to water and whatever that is uh, for me, it's baking cookies. And I go back to tradition and things I did with my grandma and my mother, but for everybody, it's different. And I think we, we don't, we're so geared in caring for other people. We give, we give selflessly and that's a great quality, but we also need to keep our, our, our body. We don't see the barometer of stress inside our body. I didn't have chest pain or anxiety or anything. I'm a, you know, love the energy of people. And I think when you're that way, you sometimes can get, you don't even know you, you're, you maybe need to pause a moment. So, um, I'm, you know, curious to, um, when, when all this happened, um, you know, you're diagnosed, uh, you have surgery, uh, you become ill, you're down for a yeah. while. You obviously weren't ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think, um, like how, how difficult was it for you to focus on healing yourself when you're laying there thinking about all the things and the loose ends that you don't know if anybody's going to pick up those loose ends or not? I mean, what was that like? 
Well, you know, I, I always say I'm grateful I went through this in a non-COVID period because I was able, I, am, um, I have two sons and a wonderful husband of 30 years and, um, and I grew up with brothers, but at the end of the day, I needed to be around women. I needed my mother and I wouldn't have been able to have my mother in, in the world we've been in the last two years because visitation was limited across the country. And I needed that because she would come home from, you know, uh, she lives uh, in Florida and I'm in Minnesota and her and my dad just drive back instantly. And she'd be, she'd come in the hospital and she knows me and she knows my personality. And she'd, she'd grab my phone. Cause I'd, I'd, I'd get a housekeeper to please take my charger and weave it through the back of my hospital bed, because I got to figure out how I can get the bank to get a credit line of 300,000 so I can cover payroll. Cause I don't know how long I'm going to be out. And what if the census drops and what if the, you know, revenue drops, I got to get a plan. And you know, my mom just grabbed the phone and said, you're done. You know, you're not doing this anymore. So, you know, your brain, when you're a CEO and you're in a leadership capacity is never off, even when you're near death. And so the only time I was off is when I was in surgery <laughs> and, you know, and I, in anesthesia and I couldn't make a decision, you know, and I would always tease them, you know, just make sure I wake up, you know, because I got stuff I got to do, you know, and it, it, I try to use humor in ways, you know, because it was where I was at and, and dealing with your own, when you've cared for people 85 to hundred your whole life, I thought everybody gets to a hundred. That was the shocking thing to me. I just assumed, you know, we laugh about, oh, you're going to have another birthday. I'm like, no, that's, that's real. Don't laugh about it. Be happy to celebrate your birthday. I thought we, I just never thought I wouldn't live to 90 and my grandparents have, you know, everybody around me has, I've cared for people. So to think that you could lose your life at 48 just was, you know, no breast cancer in my family, no cancer in my family. So, you know, but I also realized things happen to people every day. And so I wasn't, I tried to stay positive. And I think the hardest thing as a leader and a healthcare worker was to actually be the person to tell somebody you're sick, because I've been taking care of people who are at the end of their life, or people who are dealing with grief of saying goodbye to people, but I didn't want anybody worrying about me. And the reality is people want to care for you. And it's hard to take that care because you've been the leader. And leaders need to be cared for too. So it was a humbling experience to walk down the hall in a hospital with an IV bag and, and everything hooked onto me and look in the rooms and think, oh my gosh, all these people with white hair look way better than me, <laughs> you know, and I've been taking care, you know, it's like, look, you're going to beat me in a race down the hall. I can hardly get out of bed right now. And, you know, I had people taking care of me that worked for me over the last 30 years and, and, you know. I'd look in their eyes and I clearly knew who they were and there's HIPAA. So nobody can say who they are. I'm like, yeah, it's me. I'm the, I'm the lady you worked for. It's okay. You know, I'm just the patient right now. But what I did realize is that, you know, in senior living, you know, we, we were surveyed and we have compliance and everything. And I, and I, I was kind of surprised and caught off guard that, you know, bad things can happen in a hospital, but I felt like, well, where, where's all the same tracking like we do in assisted living and nursing homes. You know, we track infections and why does nobody know how many sepsis infections there, there are post for all the surgeries that happen? What are the statistics? And it's a different model in the hospital of what they track. And I wasn't, I was surprised by that because I thought, well, why does my life not matter if I die at 48? Nobody's going to know why. You know, this is um, uh, an important month um, to talk about cancer awareness, breast cancer awareness. Mm -hmm. 
um, as well as sepsis. And I think um, that's something I personally haven't heard as much about. Um, and your diagnosis that got you in the hospital and got you to surgery was not really what almost killed you. Is that correct? No, it wasn't. And, you know, so, what I learned is that, you know, it's so important to know your own health. You know, what's your normal blood pressure? What's your normal body temperature? What's your health look like? Because had I known that, you know, low blood pressure is a sign for a signal for sepsis it can be many times. And so I had been in the hospital when you're in a cancer mode, you're seeing an oncologist and you're seeing all these different professionals and, and you move from one doctor to another. And my blood pressure was 80 over 60, which is very low. And mine is normally a hundred over 60. Well, a low blood pressure is a, is a signal. Knowing what I know right now, I would have asked to have my, my blood drawn and what is my white blood count looking like? Um, because there's a range for a white blood count and it's typically 5,000 to 11,000, somewhere in there. Mine was 12,000 when I ended up in the hospital. Very clearly had an infection. The problem for me was I'd never had a mastectomy before. So I had severe bruising on the non-cancerous side. It was black. I thought it was bruising. It made sense to me that maybe you'd bruise more on one side. You know, I, I didn't know. What I learned is it was really, the tissue was dying because there was no blood supply. So it was really necrosis, which is, you know, the tissue's dot dead and it wasn't bruising and it was really tunneling a wound into my ribs. And so by the time I ended up having the fever, you know, I went from 97 degree temperature and in 15 minutes, I was over 102 in just 15 minutes and crashed that fast. But it, the wound was growing the whole time. I thought it was bruising. It was black tissue and it was dying. So, you know, in the first 30 months, when anybody has a surgery, the first 30 days are the most critical. I know that now. And I would have been looking for signs of infection. And the Sepsis Alliance does a great job of looking at, do you have a temperature? Do you have any signs of infection? Are you feeling cloudy in your head with mental, you know, and do you have excruciating pain? I had all of it. I had chest pain that was on the side of the mastectomy, but I thought it was from the breast cancer and the surgery. I thought it was surgical pain. And so when I called in, you know, it was like, well, you probably did too much. You're going back to work tomorrow. And so I just, you know, I didn't have any other signs. So, you know, it, it was sepsis the whole time. And by the time I got to the hospital, I was in a heart attack. You know, you, you, you can have a pulmonary embolism, which I had that too. You know, I had a blood clot, the train just kept going and going. And so it is very common and yet we don't talk about it. So um, I think it's being aware of it for all of our health. It can happen after a dental procedure, kids that have, you know, root canals or, or wisdom teeth out, you can get infection. And so knowing sepsis is really critical for every age. Well, it's certainly important topics that you've touched on. And Natalie, I believe you've written a book about this, right? That shares your story. Here it is. The scars you can't see. <laughs> the scars you can't see. Lucas, I know our yeah. listeners are going yeah. to want to uh, get that. And I'm sure that's going to be available in our show notes. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's just really important for people. We don't it, like for me, I get educated when it's relevant to what I'm going through in life. And so you don't think about cancer, you know, you know, what's going on in education when you have kids that are young, you know, what's going on in senior living when you're looking for a place for your mom or your grandma, but you don't think about sepsis or cancer till you have it. 
And so what I want people to know is just what can you do if it happens so it doesn't happen to you and be aware to make choices. That's so important. I mean, this is one of those stories. I, Natalie, I imagine that you had people in your life that said you should write a book uh, <laughs> and then you actually did. So uh, yeah. this is going to be very helpful to our listeners. Thanks for getting your story onto our network and uh, sharing your story so candidly with, with our audience so that they can uh, learn and be aware too. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I just encourage all the healthcare providers to take care of themselves because you're the heart of caring. The buildings are a building and they're great, but without us, we can't give care. So we have to take care of ourselves too. So thank you for having me. Well said, Natalie. Thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, if you want more information about this, you can check out the show notes or you can go to btgvoice.com, connect with us there and connect with us on social, hit us up on LinkedIn. And thanks for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.